This week's Motley Fool Money is brought to you by Molecule. Molecule is reimagining the future of clean air, starting with the air purifier. For 10% off your first air purifier, visit Molecule.com. That's M-O-L-E-K-U-L-E.com. And enter the promo code FOOL10 at checkout. Thanks also to LinkedIn. LinkedIn Jobs uses knowledge of both hard and soft skills to match you with the people who fit your role the best. Post a job today at linkedin.com slash fool and get $50 off your first job post. Everybody needs money. That's why they call it money. The best thing in life are free, but you can give them to the birds and bees. From Fool Global Headquarters, this is Motley Fool Money. It's the Motley Fool Money Radio Show. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio this week, senior analyst Jason Moser, Emily Flippin, and Ron Gross. Good to see you as always. Hey, how hey, you doing? We've got the latest earnings from Wall Street. We will dip into the Fool mailbag. And as always, we'll give you an inside look at the stocks on our radar. Earnings season in full swing. We're going to begin with Amazon. The e-commerce giant sold $70 billion worth of stuff, Jason, in the third quarter. But profits were lower than expected due to all of the investments that Amazon's been making. Interesting to see, is, you know, you look at the stock after hours, it was down nearly 10% when the trading day opened. It had basically stabilized. Yeah, and having gone through the report and the call, I mean, I, I appreciate that the market has come to its senses. I mean, maybe it's not an ugly quarter if you mean to do it, right? I mean, it's all a matter of perception. <laughs> well, i got to write that I mean, down. I'm going to use that. Come on. Listen, Amazon, they, you said it, they grew their revenue. I mean, revenue grew 24% of the quarter, $70 billion in sales. I mean, this is a behemoth. We know what they're capable of. Given the market opportunity, I mean, I don't understand how you can justify not owning this stock. And so, I, I do understand the knee-jerk reaction from the market when you look at the profitability um, picture. And to compare the margins from 2018 to 2019, and I keep track of these operating margins, operating margins in the North American segment fell from 5.9% to 3%. Operating margins internationally improved slightly, but Amazon Web Services were down from 31.1% to 25.1%. So, while they're bringing more on the revenue side, they're spending more on the investment side. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, they've made this move to one-day shipping. They said it's resulting in more orders and more spending. We like to see that. Uh, we're seeing another lever coming to light here in the advertising. In, in in line with that advertising, I was really impressed to see that the Fire TV franchise here, all of these devices that support this Fire TV platform, they've got more than 37 million active users worldwide. Now, it's the number one selling streaming media player family in the US, wow. the UK, Germany, Japan, and India. Huh. And I had to double check this with Emily because it sounded like, I mean, I don't use Roku, I have Amazon, but I know that there are a lot of people out there that use Roku, and it's something to the tune of about 30 million active accounts. But it really speaks to the strength in Amazon's media platform. And as we know, when you have all of those different levers, I mean, you can survive even the toughest of times. Does anyone else feel like Amazon maybe just played themselves a little bit with the two-day shipping thing and the one-day shipping? And now it's like everybody is shipping for free in two days, and Amazon's like, oh, now I got to up the ante again. Uh, so I'm, I'm not surprised to see this come out of Amazon. It's still, still a great company, like Jason mentioned. They have so many different businesses that are all extremely popular. Uh, but I think it's hilarious to see them spending so much money on shipping when we see big competitors, you know, like Shopify, coming out and offering free two-day shipping to their customers. Obviously, not retail customers. Their customers are our businesses. But fact being that. Hey, this is something that we now expect as consumers. We expect to get our products really quickly, and man, is that expensive! 
No one ever talks about Amazon valuation. Is there ever going to be a price <laughs> ever in the history of the human race where someone's like, Amazon's a little pricey. I think I'm going to pass right here. I think it's a fair point. I mean, we've been having that discussion ever since it was $100 a share. I mean, it is it is one of those unique companies. I mean, we could say the same thing about Netflix to an extent. And I think that's just where there are certain businesses where the the future transcends any present day valuation. If you use the word optionality, I'm walking right <laughs> yeah, out of here. I didn't say it. But if you go back to last week's show when we talked about retail and some of the concerns going into holiday season, a quarter like this from Amazon, where they're warning a little bit on their holiday quarter, which is so important, that has a ripple effect throughout the industry. It, there's no question. Uh, but by the same token, and we say this quarter in and quarter out. This is really seeing the forest for the trees. I mean, like Emily was saying, I mean, they really set the standard. Now they're having to set a new standard that costs a lot of money. I would imagine in five to ten years we'll be having this discussion again. Um, but but you know, investors seem to be winning all along the way. I got so. one more quick question: Are drones still a thing here? Are they yeah. serious about it? I've, I mean, they're all actually. I got getting a lot ready of pushback. <laughs> we had a member of it not too long ago, and the reckless prediction for what's going to happen in six months. I said we're going to start seeing drone delivery oh, yeah, get yeah, rolled yeah. out and there was an audible ooh <laughs> <from> <laughs> that's a bold everybody. prediction it was I mean, it was admittedly a bold prediction but we see a lot of companies making headways into it and so i think the question is is not a matter of if it's just a matter of when and so maybe 6 months was being aggressive but mm. look amazon's been trying to do this for a long time now and i really do think amazon's going to be the first ones to roll out with say nationwide drone delivery Ooh. Shares of Microsoft up a bit this week after first quarter profits and revenue came in higher than expected. Uh, Ron, Microsoft's cloud division continues to get it done. The trillion dollar business just got a little bit bigger. Up 37% this year. The company is really, it just keeps on impressing me. Better than expected results, revenue up 14%, intelligent cloud revenue up 27%, but the Azure business in particular up 59%, as you said. Now, to some, that's not good enough because growth is decelerating from the 60s. It was in the 75% range. But for a company of her size, a business this size, 59% is still extremely robust. Nothing for them to hang their heads about. Um, even their personal computing business was up 4%. Remember that little little division of theirs? The office business with LinkedIn was up 13%, really strong. Profits um, all up 24%, as you said, for this 1.1, approaching $1.1 trillion company. And notice Ron didn't mention gaming in there at all. What happened to Xbox? I remember for a long time that was Microsoft's thing, right? It kind of feels like, oh, they have all these other great businesses. Xbox really been kind of dragging down as we've seen, especially like Nintendo Switch come out, um, all these different ways to play. So I think it's kind of interesting. For, for a long time, it seemed like Microsoft just really innovated with Xbox, and that's just really died. Yeah, I think that's fair. They It wasn't working to the extent that they wanted it to work, and so they just emphasized the more important part of the business, which is now cloud. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> I don't think I heard anything you said after you said the word Azure. <laughs> Azure? Isn't it, isn't it Azure? Azure. Isn't that yeah, the yeah. All right, come on. We'll cut that out in post-production. <laughs> Tesla delivered a profit in the third quarter, and shares rose 22% this week. 
Uh, Emily Tesla also said their new factory in Shanghai is ahead of schedule. That's the first time we've ever heard Tesla say <laughs> anything's ahead of schedule. So I think that's probably news to investors' ears to justify the jump itself. Uh, but yeah, the stock shot up more than 20% last time I checked, at least, uh, because they posted a surprise profit, a profit of over $300 million when they were expected to lose over $70 million. So that's wonderful for Tesla shareholders. Um, more importantly, in my opinion, they expect positive quarterly free cash flow from here on out, which is really telling because that company has obviously had big issues with cash crunches in the past. Um, lots of investor excitement, uh, mostly over their new semi-truck, which is supposed to roll out in 2020. I won't get into that again, but it is rumored to be able to haul the weight of 20 T-Rexes. So, still hanging on there. And They're dead, aren't they? <laughs> Wait, we're measuring in T-Rexes these days? <laughs> you have to get up to speed, Chris. Yeah. It's a lot. Point being, I think I think the most popular truck right now can haul like one T Rex. So twenty T Rexes for context, it's a lot. It's a lot of weight. Uh, we'll see if if Tesla really gets there. But this quarter was definitely a good quarter. There are still lots of bears who are saying it's not sunshine and rainbows for Tesla anymore. Uh, revenues were down quarter over quarter and year over year. Same with operating cash flow. So it's fair to say that their increase in sales is actually not as profitable for them as they're selling more of their lower end models, less of the really expensive models. But it'll be fun to see what they do in China. You know, they pull off a good quarter and it still doesn't resonate with me because Musk has such little credibility in my mind that I always picture oh, there's, some, some there. there's some behind the scenes <laughs> thing going on here where they're like, he's like, we have to pull back on expenses just for the next month because we've got to show Wall Street a profit. And, you know, that's not the kind of CEO I would want running my companies that I'm invested in. So, for me, they can sell as many cars as they want. It's a pass. So, Ron essentially is saying less hyperbole, more <laughs> hyperloop, right? <laughs> there okay. you go. Visa closed out the fiscal year in strong form. Fourth quarter revenue was higher than expected, and Jason Visa also increased its dividend to the tune of 20%. Well, steady as she goes, right? I mean, I think it is difficult to find really the bear case for owning this stock. I think this is another quarter that re emphasizes that point as far as I can see it. Uh, from a numbers perspective, revenue was up 13% for the quarter. Uh, they, as you mentioned, raised the dividend 20%. They returned $2.7 billion to, to shareholders in, in the quarter in repurchases and dividends. And uh, I mean, the total transactions number, I mean, these are, these are Apple balance sheet style numbers. I mean, 36.4 billion total transactions, up 11% from a year ago. Payments volume up nine percent, cross border up seven percent. Uh, they continue to to make some small little bolt on acquisitions. Remember, we talked about this early on earlier on in the year. Uh, this acquisition of Earthport, which is giving them more exposure to that cross border uh, payments industry, which is a tremendous opportunity. We're seeing investments from Visa and Mastercard and even PayPal for that matter. Uh, so, just a lot of reasons to like what's going on with Visa. A, a obviously that toll booth model we love so much. The regulatory risk is always there, capping those fees that they might be able to collect. But as we move more and more towards a society that depends less on cash, uh, this is one of the businesses that's poised to win. Increasingly, as we look at these companies and we focus on payment volume, is there any concern that if we do have a recession at some point in 2020, that that dramatically scales back for whether it's Visa, Mastercard, or someone else? I think a time ago, perhaps that could be a concern. I think that as we move more, uh, that that volume has has gone up considerably in a short period of time. So I think they're able to make up for it a little bit on the volume side. Uh, but really, that's just where you look to the leaders in the space. 
space uh, that as, as the companies that will be more protected. And so, whether it's Visa or MasterCard, I would even lump PayPal in there at this point as well. They, they should be well insulated. We're just getting warmed up with the earnings, so stay right here. You're listening to Motley Fool Money. All right, quick shout out to Molecule which is reimagining the future of clean air, starting with the air purifier. Their technology has been personally effective and verified by science, but most importantly, it's been tested by real people, and I'm one of them. Molecules given allergy and asthma sufferers around the country an all-new experience. Breakthrough Pico technology across a range of products provides a solution for the entire home when it comes to air purification. So, no matter the size of your room, you can choose the option that is best for your space, whether that's the Molecule Air for large rooms or the Molecule Air Mini for smaller rooms. Their devices don't just collect air pollutants, they destroy them on a molecular level. I said this the other day, the best thing I can say about Molecule's air purifiers, they work. They just work. I slept so much better when I had a Molecule Air purifier in my room destroying pollen. You can get 10% off your first air purifier by going to Molecule.com. That's M-O-L-E-K-U-L-E.com. Use the promo code FOOL10 at checkout. That's M-O-L-E-K-U-L-E.com. And use the promo code FOOL10. Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. Chris Hill here in studio with Jason Moser, Emily Flippin, and Ron Gross. Shares of Biogen up 30% this week. The biotech company posted some good third-quarter results, but it was Biogen's separate announcement about a potential treatment for Alzheimer's disease that had the stock on the rise. Ron, what's the story? So interesting. Drug comes back from the dead. Potentially huge for Biogen, but really huge for the world. I mean, in March, the company set a major trial of the drug. Let's all pronounce this together. Ready? Aducanumab <laughs> had been a failure, but they kept collecting data. And as the data rolled in, they saw a positive signal from the group that was getting the highest dose of the drug, which is potentially really, really exciting. It helps patients with cognitive function and their ability to perform basic tasks. So now, Biogen's going to actually ask the drug reg- regulators to approve the drug. That's going to take some time. It takes a year, two years plus. But they're, they're pretty um, sure that the signals that they're getting are going to be the first drug to really help Alzheimer's patients. Very huge for Biogen. Huge for sufferers all over the world. Could be potentially very exciting. Let's temper our enthusiasm just a bit because they've got some, some hurdles to go through here. These, these approvals are not so easy, but if this goes through, it's, it's really a humongous thing. I want to come back to the stock in a second, but first, uh, and I, I'll preface this by saying, Ron, I know you're not an expert when it comes to biotech companies. But I'm curious, how unusual is this procedure, the idea that any company, whether it's Biogen or someone else, would essentially shut down a trial but still collect data and then come back and say, actually, we want to give this another shot? Yeah, so I think it's relatively common that they do keep collecting the data for sure as it comes in, and they do analyze it as well. It's, It's rare, however, that that what they see um, subsequent is different from what they saw initially. And I, I should say, it's really because 
the people getting the highest dose of the drug is where they saw the signal here, and perhaps the initial data um, did, was not of those people. So this is pretty rare. I think that's why the regulators will probably actually scrutinize this even more than normal. But maybe because it's so important, because it's Alzheimer's related, we'll actually get a fast track of some sort. Shares of Biogen had been down for the year, and this week um, just erased that loss completely. When you look at shares of Biogen, is this an expensive stock, or does this still have room to run? You know, even though it's a biotech or a pharmaceutical drug company, you can't think of it as one of these early stage biotechs that are pre-revenue. This is, you know, it's a fifty billion billion dollar, extremely profitable company. Now, companies like this actually don't trade at very high multiples. Biogen's around nine times earnings right now. The the, uh, average company trades around eleven times, so maybe it's a little cheap relative um, to the peers. But these companies don't get the high multiples. eBay's third quarter profits came in higher than expected. So did overall revenue. Uh, Emily, you tell me if the headline for eBay's quarter was so good, how come eBay's stock fell ten percent this week? Well, eBay's no Adjucanu bad, right? Oh. So it's, it's, Adjucanu bad. <laughs> so to say that that they beat expectations, all expectations were were pretty low, and the revenue growth is actually flat year over year. So I think the stock's down largely because look, earnings per share is down fifty percent year over year, net income's down fifty seven percent year over year, and the only reason it's not more is because the company's spending money on on share. Buyback. So, the the core marketplace platform has been lingering for a while now. Uh, what's really interesting with eBay is is that they have really strong activist investors on their board. So, representatives from Elliott Management and Starboard Value. They've real they've ousted the CEO recently, put in a new CEO. It looks like they're pushing to divest the StubHub's and Classifieds business. Um, those are the only businesses that are really growing within eBay. They think they can get eBay. I don't say back to its glory days. I'm not sure if it's ever going to be back to its glory days, but they're thinking that they can extract more shareholder value with those businesses divested. So it's going to be interesting to watch to see if that happens in the near future. As we head into the holiday quarter, it's interesting to me that eBay, at least from an advertising and promotional standpoint, is positioning itself as almost like Etsy. They're positioning themselves as, this is the place where you can get stuff that you can't get on Amazon or Walmart, Target, that sort of thing. Um, I'm assuming that's not working so far. If you know the other parts of the business are the ones that are actually growing. Yeah, it's actually really interesting you draw that comparison because a lot of people who were selling on eBay have actually moved over to Etsy, and it's part of what's contributed to Etsy's amazing growth. So it's not to say that eBay is is dead in the water, but it's definitely not had uh, the type of growth that it, yeah, Etsy has seen. Even their GMV on the eBay platform has fallen 5% year over year. So they really need to go back to those days of getting growth. The problem is is that, you know, all of their sellers and most of their customers have really left for for bluer pastures, greener, greener pastures. Greener. <laughs> bluer skies and greener bluer pastures. Skies. I think at this point eBay would settle for even just bluer pastures. Uh, speaking <laughs> of eBay's glory days, PayPal third quarter profits and revenue came in higher than expected. PayPal stock down a bit from its highs, Jason, but payment volume is growing. The Venmo division also growing nicely. Yeah, I mean, I think there are probably a lot of folks out there wondering if they just missed the boat on this one, and I would say no. I mean, I, you know, we we like <laughs> part of me was hoping you'd say, yeah, you have. <laughs> you know? Sorry, everybody. I'm going to be a little bit more glass half full here for you folks out there. I mean, we like businesses that generate those repeat purchases, repeat transactions. Clearly, this is one of them, and they have. I mean, what could be a massive potential uh, tailwind forming here in the coming decade? But let's look at some of the numbers here that matter most for the company. Uh, added 9.8 million new 
active accounts. Total active accounts now up to 295 million. That was up 16% for the quarter. 3.1 billion payment transactions up 25%. Total payment volume of $179 billion flowing through that network. That was up 27%. And to your uh, question on Venmo there, that part of the business drove more than $27 billion in total payment volume up 64%. And actually on a $400 million annual revenue run rate. So that is becoming an actual part of the business now, which is exciting. Uh, back to that tailwind. You remember we talked about this a little bit ago. The GoPay acquisition that they recently uh, made—that's that's the Chinese payment uh, processor that is going to open them up to the Chinese market in, in processing payments and transactions in China, which has been a very difficult hurdle for a lot of these payments companies uh, to clear. I think there are a number of reasons why PayPal was considered. I mean, they certainly have made a, a lot of innovation in the space in a short amount of time, spend a lot on compliance and risk management. I think the benefits were seen there, uh, and consequently, PayPal appears to be uh, moving in a very similar direction as Visa, which is good. It's four times the size of eBay. It's been it only is. four years since wow. it was spun out from eBay. It's, it's pretty it's amazing. I mean, when you look at the performance, and I mean, we'll talk more as, as these other companies announce, but I mean, they, they just, the payment sector is so nice. It's just an attractive space. Hold that thought, because up next, Earnings Palooza rolls on. Stay right here. You're listening to Motley Fool Money. It's all tax deductible. We're fairly incorruptible. We're sailing on the wide accountancy. Welcome back to Monty Full Money. Chris Hill here in studio with Jason Moser, Emily Flippin, and Ron Gross. Third quarter profits for Southwest Airlines came in higher than expected. Emily, Southwest getting it done despite the fact that it is the largest operator in the U.S. of Boeing's 737 MAX, and those grounded planes cost them more than $200 million in revenue this quarter. Yeah, not only are they the largest operator of Boeing 737s in the world, but they're the launch customer for Boeing 737 MAX. So, Southwest has definitely been hit the hardest out of all the airlines, given this fiasco we're seeing with the 737 MAX. But despite all of this, and despite having to cancel all of their MAX flights, through January 2020, they actually had a pretty great quarter. Um, costs were up thanks to that grounding, uh, but fuel costs were lower than expected, and more importantly, their revenue per available seat mile, their RASM, it was up four percent quarter over quarter. <laughs> their RASM, I love that. Uh, Gary Kelly, the CEO at Southwest, uh, he just came out and said in an interview this week he is not happy with what's happening at Boeing. Um, you mentioned the fact that this is going to continue at least until January of 2020. And then once the 737 MAX planes are cleared, it's still going to take a couple of months to get all of the pilots and crews trained up on them. I mean, are we going to be sitting here six months from now talking about this? Issue continuing for Boeing because if they are, I'm starting to believe that you know for all the talk that we've had of well it's really hard to switch planes, I think with every passing quarter like this, Airbus gets closer and closer to supplying planes for businesses like Southwest. Well, let's not forget that there there's some political reasons why Boeing is better positioned in the U.S. at least with U.S. operators versus Airbus. A lot of those uh, geopolitical concerns, right? Airbus having those uh, having a lawsuit recently against Boeing because of the fact that both countries were the EU and the US were illegally subsidizing both Airbus and Boeing. So that competition's been fueled for a while. I think Gary Kelly's more upset because it's really derailed what is Southwest's gross 
strategy. And so before all of this happened, we saw Southwest making really aggressive expansion plays, moving into areas like Hawaii, spending a lot of money to expand their fleet, to expand their their areas of service. And after this, they're canceling flights. They've canceled Newark recently as a location that they're going to be flying to. So it almost feels like they've been stifled by this. Meanwhile, Delta's coming out and they're expanding to Latin America. They have no Boeing 737 Maxes in their, in their fleet at all. So I, I wonder if the concern is really just the fact that, you know, Gary Kelly's over here like, gosh, I laid this great plan and then Boeing's going to come along and ruin it for me. Does Southwest have recourse in terms of a lawsuit for Boeing or business interruption insurance? Is yes. they going to recapture some of it's, this? It's likely that Boeing will have to pay some something to Southwest. We don't know what, uh, but it's likely that they'll see some sort of windfall from this. Rough week for Hasbro. The toy maker's third quarter profits and revenue both came in lower than expected. Shares falling close to 25% this week, Ron. Was it that bad? Not that bad, but you know the stock is still up 16% this year, so that tells you how Hasbro had been doing prior to this. Uh, weaker than expected third quarter profit largely blamed on tariffs that haven't even happened yet which is interesting. Um, uncertainty over the tariffs forced retailers to cancel or delay orders. Shipping and warehouse costs jumped as a result. Revenue was down as well. Um, the company sources more than two-thirds of its products from China. Um, they tried to um, kind of calm folks down by saying they have a plan in place to reduce that to 50% by 2020. But still, it, it was a, a company. Uh, a, a quarter that was interrupted by the unknown. Right now, tariffs, 10% tariff on toys are set to take place um, on December 1st. If that does occur, the company has warned that price hikes will ensue. Um, so, you know, it's an interruption in Hasbro's strategy. They've been making some nice acquisitions, you know, um, and, and their partnership uh, with companies, with movies like Star Wars, Avengers, all those folks had, had been going quite, quite well. So, once again, we see, you know, macroeconomic uh, factors here. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, normally when we look at the toy makers, we look at their individual divisions, you know, how are the board games doing, how are the, you know, the toys. And as you said, their partner sales division, you look at the partnerships with Marvel, um, uh, that Disney, not acquisition, but uh, that partnership they established a few years ago, taking that from Mattel, just continues to pay dividends for them. Real strong. Partner brands up 40%, so that's really strong. The kind of the bread and butter, the monopoly, the nerf, the Play-Doh, not so strong, down 8%. Their gaming revenue, Dungeons & Dragons were strong, but the rest were weak, down 17%. So, it's really the partner brands and their licensing division that, that are the solid, uh, stronger pieces of the business. And don't forget, too, I mean, this Disney Plus product, I think, is going to give them the opportunity to really capitalize on a lot of that new content that's coming out there. So, it's a bit further down the road, perhaps, but no no question there's an opportunity. Shares of Twitter down more than 20% this week after disappointing third quarter results. And Jason, Twitter's management basically came out and said, don't expect things to get any better in the next three to six months. That's how I interpreted what they said. Well, yeah, I mean, it was close to that. Um, I mean, I guess technically it's still been a decent enough year for the stock, even after all uh, this sell off. I mean, the reaction was kind of a double whammy of a stock that was clearly overvalued now that we know it was based on an <laughs> incorrect set of assumptions um, and then missing all of those different expectations. I mean, the market's never going to receive that very well. But I mean, my question with Twitter, and, it, and this is becoming more and more a concern for me quarter in and quarter out, is what What's the next act for these guys? Because, I mean, we know what they do and we know how they make their money, right? This is an ad play at this point. 
But what's next? What are they trying to do? I mean, they've tried to make investments in video and entertainment. I mean, for all of its problems, you can look at something like Snap, for example, and say, well, augmented reality, that is sort of their North Star. That's what's next for them. Now, whether they can pull it off is another question entirely. What is next for Twitter? I don't know yet, and I don't think many of us do, and that's becoming a problem. On the user side, they're doing okay. They grow users, they're engaging. But to your point there about going into to the following year here with some problems still, there was noteworthy language in the letter. In one paragraph, they talked about the successes and product improvements. In the very next paragraph, they talk about all of these challenges and product issues. So, they, they sort of conflicted with one another. And I think it's it's all boiling down to a decent user experience, but they really they had some bugs in the system that were not helping them utilize their advertising technology very well. And that results in less return on the advertising. And that's a problem for Twitter because it's just an advertising play. I think until they can figure out, until they can answer that question, what's next? I think we likely see Twitter just sort of trade in this range because at least now there's a fundamental business that underlies everything. We can value the stock, but until they answer that question, it's it's hard to understand why it goes to that next level. Well, and it's a good point because there are different businesses that we look at from time to time. We see companies making investments, and when they don't pay off in the first couple of years, we start to ask, well, should they still keep throwing money at that? As you mentioned, Twitter, you know, they made a pretty decent investment into Periscope and video, and it seemed like maybe that was the next big thing for them. Maybe we give them partial credit for stopping that. But at the end of the day, as you said, we're left with this business that seems to be doing just fine, but that's all that it's doing is just fine. And unless they come up with a second act, it's hard to make the case that this is a stock worth buying. Yeah. I mean, at the right price, probably everything's worth a look. But I mean, to the video point, yeah, that was really the buzzword for a long time. And it's not to say that they've just cut off video. I mean, they've done good things with video, it's created more engagement. And that's ultimately what you need for platforms like this. But yeah, I mean, I kind of wonder maybe we've seen the heyday for social here. It seems like. These companies are coming under a lot of scrutiny. We're asking that question, is the world better off with them or without them? It seemed early on it was clearly better with. Now, I think we could sit here and debate this one all day long. I'm not so sure the world is better off with all of these social companies. It seems to ruffle a lot of feathers, but hey, you know. At the same time, the reason why we're seeing them kind of come under pressure is because they're so pervasive and they're so popular, and so it causes to have us, you know, like have conversations about what that means in terms of data, privacy, protection, security, all of these conversations that we didn't have to have before. And sure, they're hard conversations, but they're necessary conversations because you know these products have increased transparency, and so to the extent that we hate things like Facebook and Twitter, uh, the world's a lot more accessible today than it was ten years ago. So there's something to be said for being a pervasive platform that yeah increases accessibility, responsibility and transparency. Yep, just because we know something's bad for us doesn't mean we're not going to do it. I mean, the world's still full of hundreds of millions of smokers. Last thing and then we'll move on. Uh, you mentioned Snap. Are you surprised at all at the rise of Snap over the past year or so? I mean, it's now at the point where Snap's market cap is only a few billion dollars lower than Twitter's. Um, I, I don't know that I would say surprised. I think they still have a lot to prove in actually becoming a fundamentally sound and sustainable business. Uh, but, you know, Spiegel talks a pretty good game. I think he's starting to learn at least how to run a public company, and it's also coming off of a very low base. 
Coming up, we've got a few stocks on our radar and a few hot takes on the topic of Halloween candy. This is the segment you're going to be telling your friends about next week, so stay right here. You're listening to Motley Fool Money. They played the Monster Mash. The Monster Mash. It was a graveyard smash. They played the Mash. It caught on in a flash. They played the Mash. They played the Monster Mash. All right, one more thing before we get to the candy. Let's talk about hiring, because it's not as simple as putting an ad in the paper or posting to a job board. When you're juggling hiring with everything it takes to grow your business, it's important that you reach the right candidates at the right time. And that's where LinkedIn comes in. Over 600 million members visit LinkedIn to make connections, learn and grow as professionals, and discover new job opportunities. That's how LinkedIn makes sure that your job post gets in front of people with the right hard skills and the right soft skills to meet your role requirements. Things like collaboration, adaptability, work ethic, you know what I'm talking about. LinkedIn does the legwork to match you to the most qualified candidates so you can focus on hiring the person who's going to help transform your business. You can get $50 off your first job post. Just go to linkedin.com fool. That's linkedin.com fool for $50 off your first job post. Terms and conditions apply. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. Chris Hill here in studio with Jason Moser, Emily Flippin, and Ron Gross. Shout out, not just to our man behind the glass, Steve Roydo, but joining him this week, Ken Rudnicki, visiting hey, us, long-time right. listener, Welcome. stock advisor member. And he brought peanut butter whiskey oh, from yeah, California, which it. is a thing I did not know existed and I can't be more excited for the end of this show. Oh, we're going to find out. <laughs> uh, also, shout out to uh, Daniel Shelton, longtime listener in Sacramento, California, who writes, My wife loves your show. Could you wish her a happy birthday? Rachel, happy birthday. Thanks happy for listening. Happy birthday, Rachel. Happy investing. All the best. One more earnings story before we get to the Halloween candy, but it ties in nicely because we're talking about Hershey. Hershey stock a little less sweet this week, Ron, after third quarter profits came in lower than Wall Street was expecting. Still, shares of Hershey up around 40% over the past year. Yeah, not bad at all. Now, this isn't a high growth company, right? This is Hershey. So we have sales up about 2.5%, adjusted earnings up about 4%. It's like this kind of steady grower, but it's doing a fine job. As you mentioned, the stock stock really strong this year. Um, most of, of the goodness came from their move into healthier snacks, and they were able to put forth some price increases. So that led um, to kind of a doubling of earnings relative to sales. So that was nice to see. Company continually pays a dividend, 2.1%. They're on an acquisition spree. They bought things like Skinny Pop popcorn, uh, Pirate Booty folks, uh, One Brands, which is a healthier uh, company, uh, a company that makes healthier snacks. So company's doing a, doing a great job. It's just not it's not that exciting in terms of a growth story. They're buying healthy snacks? What are they doing? I mean, you talk about throwing bad money at something. <laughs> You're Hershey's. Be proud. <laughs> One brand makes low-sugar, high-protein nutrition bars and flavors such as chocolate chips and peanut butter pie. I had some pirate booty a couple of weeks back. It's good. It's still pretty good. Yes, I think it they, holds could, up. they could go a little bit heavier on the cheese, but all in all, <laughs> it, was, it was a nice snack. 
According to the National Retail Federation, Americans will spend an estimated $2.6 billion on candy this Halloween. And let's face it, not all of it is going to be money well spent. So, before we get to the stocks on our radar, overrated, underrated Halloween candy. Start with the overrated, Ron. What's overrated in terms of Halloween candy? I'm pretty sure I'm right here. Three Musketeers. Nougat and just nougat and just nougat. Enough with the nougat. <laughs> Emily's head is Emily Flippin' shaking her head vigorously. I don't uh, care if you put it in the freezer. <laughs> I don't care if you like it warm. It's enough with the nougat. Emily Flippin, rebuttal? If I could exclusively eat one sort of candy, it'd probably be nougat. I love that stuff. You know what I think is overrated? Any non-chocolate candy. In particular, Skittles. Get rid of the Skittles. Ooh. I hate them. They're low-class M&Ms. Wow. Wow. Straight fire, Jason. Man. What do you think? Overrated? You know what? I love Snickers, but if I get one more freaking almond Snickers, I mean, I am going to write a letter to someone venting my frustrations because you just don't mess with a good thing. And I feel like that's what people have done here. Uh, I got to agree with Emily on the Skittles there. Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. Um, Underrated candy? Because, let's face it, some of it is underrated. Ron, what do you think? I want to say Fun Dip, just because I want to talk about Fun Dip, but I'm not going to do that, because it's, it's not underrated. Baby Ruth, for sure. It's the finest candy, except what? for maybe the one that I take five with the, with the pretzel, but Baby Ruth is delicious. Baby kidding? Ruth, in my opinion, is the reason we have the quote-unquote fun-sized candy, <laughs> because I like Baby Ruth if it's in a smaller size. Yes, if I you agree. give me no, like a, a big regular honk size, in Baby Ruth, no not, good. Not right. interested. The best thing we've gotten from Baby Ruth is Caddyshack, that's it. It's not edible. <laughs> Emily? I was going to say Butterfingers, but now that Ron mm. brought up Fun Dip, I remember when I was a kid, my parents used to bribe me to go to soccer practice by promising me Fun Dip. And man, as an adult, I still love that stuff. Wow. With the lick stick? Oh, with the lick stick. Of or it's in my finger. I love my you know, finger <laughs> yeah. stick. But. Jason Moser? Yeah, you know, I, I really wanted to go with Charleston Chew here. Those bite sized Halloween candies are delightful, but in our production meeting, I feel like sugar daddies. I, I got to go with sugar. Sugar daddy. I like the caramel sweet nature of a sugar daddy. You don't see them that often. You don't eat them with braces. Be, be, have your dentist number on hand. But yeah, sugar daddies are good. And by the way, I don't know who makes that candy, but you got to like the fact that they're leaning in. They're like, no, it's sugar. Sugar babies. And they've got too. sugar babies. Yeah. yeah you wouldn't catch them going the healthy route. Uh, let's go to our man behind the glass, Steve Brito. Steve, before we get to the radar stocks, you have thoughts on candy, right? Of course. <laughs> Underrated, overrated? Uh, overrated, I'm going Milky Way. I just, if given the choice, I always go Snickers. I Correct. never go Milky Way. And under, underrated is Chuckles. Chuckles? Wait, what are you from like the 1930s? Chuckles. You got like still a Mike and Ike or something? They're, they're, they're like a, yeah, like a Chuckles. gumdrop yeah. kind yeah, of it's candy. Like drops. Yep. Have you, have you got them at Cracker Barrel? They sell them at Cracker Barrel. Uh, okay, you just answered my question because I was going to ask you have you ever seen Chuckles outside of a movie theater? I, I see them at Cracker Barrel, but Chuckles are a good time. All right, let's get to the stocks on our radar. Ron Gross, you're up first. What are you looking at this week? I'm going to go with a stock we talked about earlier this week on YouTube Live. Plug for YouTube Live. It's Rollins, R-O-L, provide pest and termite control. Stock has not done much this year, but it did have a strong week. But since it, it was kind of weak earlier in the year, there's plenty of room here, I think. Steady performer, increased revenue and earnings every quarter over the past decade. They grow organically and through acquisitions. More than 80% of sales are recurring, raise their dividend every Every year for the past 17 years. 
Steve, question about Rollins? Do we really need these people? Can we just do this stuff ourselves? Because I, it seems like, they, like they're spraying chemicals. I can get chemicals. What, what, what's the value here? You, 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 it, I don't know. You can't be messing around with chemicals. That's a lot of work. Setting traps, spraying in the house, out of the house. You know, hire, hire somebody. Emily Flippin, what are you looking at? I'm looking at a company. It's an Australian company called Afterpay Touch. So it's traded on the ASX. The ticker is APT. It's a fintech company that essentially operates as a small-scale lender. So any listeners here in the U.S., if you go to a website, say Urban Outfitters, you purchase some clothes, you check out, you have the option to check out with Afterpay Touch. It lets you pay an installment interest-free, just spreads it out over a longer period of time. They get the majority of the revenue, not from people who end up not paying them, but actually from the comp- like Urban Outfitters themselves who pay for that option. Steve, question about Afterpay Touch? Uh, what sort of yield do you think they're getting on these if they're not collecting interest? How, what's the yield on this? Yeah, so the, actually, the way they're getting paid is by charging the, the company themselves to offer the services to them. So the companies pay them a flat fee just to offer that to their customers when they check out. Ron, you gave a shout-out to The Motley Fool's YouTube channel. I want to give a quick shout-out, since Emily's mentioning a company in Australia. Quick shout-out to... Motley Fool Money Australia, the Australian oh, yeah. version, uh, worth checking out. You can find it anywhere you find podcasts. Uh, it's Motley Fool Money, uh, but with much better accents, Ron. <laughs> uh, nice. Jason Moser, what are you looking at this week? Yeah, this may be a new one for Motley Fool Money. It's a company called Instructure, t- uh, ticker is I-N-S-T. And I think their business is best summed up by their mission statement, which is to help people learn and develop from their first day of school to their last day of work. Uh, the actual business itself, it is a software as a service uh, that provides applications for learning, assessment, performance management. Uh, and they do this through two platforms Canvas, which is their learning management platform for kindergarten through 12th grade and higher education, and then Bridge, which is basically employer based. Uh, but they have over 4,000 customers representing colleges, universities, school districts. Uh, 30 million plus people learning on their platforms today, looking at it for the augmented reality service. Really neat business. Steve, question about Instructure? How do they compete with uh, LinkedIn Learning, which seems like it just dominates that space right now? I think LinkedIn is a bit more professional oriented, but Blackboard is really the company that Instructure is trying to disrupt, and I think they're doing a pretty good job of it. All these years, my kids in high school are going on campus. I didn't realize it was a public company behind it the whole time. You just click a button. Steve, we've got Instructure, we've got Afterpay Touch, and we've got uh, Rollins. We've got basically a pest business. Uh, you got one you want to add to your watch list? Well, I don't like the name. I think it's a little creepy, but I will go with Afterpay Touch. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Is it safe to assume, given your questioning of Ron, that you actually are a hands-on person at home when it comes to getting rid of pests? Well, if you've got ants, you just spray. It's not that big a deal. I don't need to hire somebody. But but I mean, maybe if I've got raccoons or squirrels in my attic, I'm probably not getting involved. Ron Gross, Emily Flippin, Jason Moser, thanks for being here. Thank you, Chris. That's going to do it for this week's edition of Motley Fool Money. Our engineer is Steve Broido. Our producer is Matt Greer. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. 